When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, Kings fans? If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor, it's totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. All the frustration and disappointment of the past is gone. The 45-year drought is over. The Los Angeles Kings are indeed the kings of the National Hockey League. They are the 2012 Stanley Cup champions. Cleared away by the Kings, picked up by Martinez. Martinez to Clifford, feed to the right side to Foley with a shot. Save, rebound, score! Alec Martinez has won the Stanley Cup for the Los Angeles Kings. And royalty reigns again in the NHL. Hey, what's up, Kings fans, and welcome to the Hockey Royalty Podcast, the unofficial podcast of RickRoyalty.com. Before we get going, I want to let you know that we're recording episode number nine tonight on March 24, 2021. I'm Scott Kinville. We also want to let you know that you can find us on Twitter at RinkRoyalty and also at Royalty underscore pod. We got a real fun show for you lined up tonight. As a matter of fact, it's a rivalry show. Considering our Kings are playing the San Jose Sharks, we've uh, we brought somebody from the enemy in tonight to talk about the big rivalry. But before we get going, I want to introduce our panel. Uh, leading us off tonight, Mr. Ryan Sykes. What's going on, Ryan? Hey, Scott. I'm doing well. How are you? Very, very good. Getting ready for the big game tonight. Up next, Mr. Russell Morgan. What's going on, Russ? Hey, what's going on, guys? Getting ready to rock and roll, brother. That's about it. All right. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Ryan Cowley. What's happening, Ryan? Not too much, guys, as usual. Great to be here. So, uh, yeah, uh, let's get this thing started. All right, let's do it. So, like I mentioned, this is the rivalry show. So, our <laughs> guest tonight, a San Jose Sharks super fan, 
and he's also from Top Down Hockey. I want to introduce to you Mr. Patrick Bacon. What's going on, Patrick? Thanks for coming on. What up, man? Thank you guys for having me. Super excited. Go Sharks. <laughs> hey, Patrick. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> Patrick, uh, just want to get... Manny, right can you mute him already? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Patrick, just want to get to the hard-hitting question right away. Any relation to Kevin? Man, no relation to Kevin. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, well, that completes our show. Thanks, guys. All right. That's <laughs> question everybody wanted to know the answer to. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's the one question. You won't find entertainment like that anywhere else. No. Scott, I don't, if you don't mind, I'll just kind of just start with kind of my questions. So, Patrick, I understand that you kind of, um, you do your modeling kind of based around three uh, models, the expected goal model, wins above replacement model. Then you also do the game simulation models. I was just wondering if you could just talk about each one of those. Absolutely. Yeah. So the expected goals model is necessary for the other two. Basically, what goes on there is I take every shot that happened from 2017, 2018 through 2020. So back the last year that the Sharks and Kings both made the playoffs, I take all that information right uh, through everything that happened last season. And I use machine learning to basically show the computer all these shots that happened, tell it which of the shots were goals, and then kind of let the computer work and determine the likelihood of new shots becoming goals based on all the information we have. So for every shot, you get like the X and Y coordinates, right? The location coordinates for the shot. You get what the last event was. You get, you know, the handedness of the shooter, right? Um, You know, whether it's on a power play or even strength, right? All that information. Most important one is a shot distance and angle from the net. But there's a lot of different important variables there. And all of them go into determining the probability that a shot will become a goal. And then from there... I, I run a regression. It's actually, it's a ridge regression, which means that some coefficients are pushed towards zero. Uh, I could get into more detail there, but it's not really pertinent, I don't think. Um, basically, I run a regression to determine the impact that each player has on the target variable being expected goals per 60 minutes. So the way it works is you have your, your data frame, right? You have each, every single player who's been in the NHL that season they are a dummy variable. So there's a column. So for example, for Andre Kopitar, there will be an offense is Andre Kopitar on variable for the majority. That'll be zero, but when he's on, that'll be one. And then same thing with defense, right? So for every shifts he plays, you'll have one row where it's the Kings as offense. So your expected goal 60 number will be the expected goal 60 that the Kings generated. And then on defense, that will be the expected goal for 60, the opponent generated. And so you have every player in the league as a target variable, as a predictor variable. You also have other things like whether there was an offensive zone uh, start or the shift began as the result of a power play ending, right? You get that kind of contextual information. And from there, you run the regression to try to isolate the impact that every player has on this expected goals per 60 minutes target variable. And then once you get that, right, you kind of you plug that back into ice time. So you say, okay, if we have Andre Kopitar, he had a great season. His impact was uh, plus 0.5 expected goals per 60 minutes, his net impact. So for every 60 minutes he's on the ice, he contributes to uh, a positive expected goal differential of 0.5 individually, right? If he plays 600 minutes, we'll say he contributed to five goals. Essentially, he added five goals to his play driving, right? His impact there. Uh, and you guys can stop me if, if I uh, if I missed anything, right? Uh, I know I got kind of quick here. 
Um, so basically you have that, right? And that's the contribution that you have that each player has contributed in the past, right? So that that's what goes into the, the even strength offense and defense, and then also the power play offense, shorthanded defense components of the wins above replacement. And then I actually touched on this on Twitter a bit uh, in light of the Tim Peel news. I run one with penalties as well. And it's, it's very mild, the impact any player has on the rates of which their teams take penalties. They're pretty mild. They don't end up adding a big amount in the wins above replacement. But that's another one of the components. And then there's shooting, uh, which is just a much more simple regression that just has the expected goal value of a shot and then also the shooter and the goaltender. And so those are the six components, right? The even strength offense, even strength defense, power play offense, shorthanded defense, uh, relative to what a replacement layer player level player would have added. So that's the wins above replacement. And then for the game simulation, it's very similar. I take the outputs of that regression uh, that I ran for the expected goals impact. I run a separate one just for shot impact, right? So so just uh, instead of using expected goals, you just use Fenwick shot attempts, unblocked shots as the target variable. I, I use those values along with a, a shooting component from the regression, right? I actually don't bother with penalties in the game simulation, but I use those things. And then I, I take a baseline for each team. So the baseline is that a team will take 43 shots per hour and they'll score on about 7% of those, give or take. So I run with that baseline. And then based on who a team is playing, who's in their lineup each night, I insert those players and what their proje- impacts are projected to be based on the outputs of those regressions over the past three seasons or so. And that information informs the rate at which each team will be doing things. So I, I don't remember exactly what the numbers are for the Sharks and Kings. I could probably actually pull them up while someone else is talking at some point. But basically, I know the Sharks had about a 51% probability. So I'd imagine in some way they're sli- expected to score slightly more goals through some measure of they're expected to take more shots or score on a larger percentage of those shots. But that's basically how it works. So the wins above replacement and the game simulation, they're very similar, but the wins above replacement is just a descriptive measure of value added in the past. The game simulation is saying, hey, these guys are going to be doing about the same things in the future that they did in the past. How likely is the team to win this game if this is true? So that's that's basically the bulk of the, the three models that I use. You're correct. Those are the kind of the three money makers there. If there's any other questions, feel free to ask. Yeah, so I know I've I've asked you this before, but you said, you know, each one of those game simulations that you run, you typically do 100,000 simulations. Yeah. And I believe you told me each one of those takes eight minutes. Um, are you able to run them at the same time? You know, I just think yeah. about games where, or days where you have like 10 or 11 games. Yeah, so basically the way that it works is I get, I saw so I send in a list of games, right? Uh, and the games, so each game that's playing that day, so there are 10 games, game one will be simulated, game two will be simulated, three, four, five through 10, right? And then one, that's, that's one instance of all those games being simulated, that repeats 100,000 times. So yeah, they, they all go, they, I, technically they don't get simulated at the same time, I guess, but no, I don't individually like hit enter, simulate, enter, simulate. No, it's just, it's one big simulation. Um, just goes so on on days where there are a lot of games i absolutely have to make sure that i get those simulations done before the games start like today they started at 2 p.m so i had to make sure i got the kind of the lineups changed and everything in before then but yeah it takes a decent amount of time 
it's not like I have to do anything for it though. You know, now it's just set up. So I just hit enter and then all games will simulate. All these models and stuff. Are you like writing script and code and all that stuff to pull this information and just kind of tell us what your background is? So it's funny. My background is in marketing. I graduated from San Jose State with a business marketing degree last May. Uh, so I'm, I'm not like a coding background whatsoever. But I do, I, I just kind of learned all this myself. There's a lot of great free resources on the internet. And I just, you know, looked at what other people had done essentially and figured out how I wanted to do things, got some inspiration here and there. But yeah, I code everything in our studio and I use a scraper written by the evolving hockey guys to pull the data from the NHL. I made some modifications to the scraper, but it was, I probably wouldn't be able to scrape the stuff without that to tell you the truth. I scrape all that information. Uh, and then, yeah, it's, it's code. It's, it's definitely, it's been, it's been fun just diving in and learning all this stuff. I definitely got a little further than I expected to when I started. And I'm, I'm sure I would have gotten a lot further and done a lot better if I had a real coding background, but yeah, it's all, it's all code. Okay. Wow. And then we, we had your buddy, uh, Jay Fresh on a couple of weeks ago. So I know that, um, he, he creates those player visualization cards, so how does the data how does the data that you create get extracted onto his cards? So what I do is and we haven't always had like a, a clear process, right? We're both we're both just kind of making it up as we go, so to speak, right? We're both kind of new to this stuff. We don't have like Amazon web services running everything for us and populating his spreadsheets and whatnot. What I do right now is I have a script that automatically runs every night that runs all my models, adds all this information, right? Does the wins above replacement. And then that gets written to a Google sheet and he has his own Google sheet and his Tableau account hooked up to my Google sheet. So it's Google sheets, man, free and, and a damn good tool. That's how we do it. Wow. That is, that is, I got a question for you. Are you sure it's not Dr. Patrick Bacon? Because that was just incredible what I just heard. <laughs> I mean, you're talking to a no, guy who just barely made it out of geometry too in high school, but that's, you know. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't even take geometry in high school. So I, uh, or I, actually, no, I did. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, well, I, I went to summer school for geometry because yeah. I failed it. Uh, well, so. I didn't take it by choice. Trust me. <laughs> me neither. Yeah. So, no. so real quick though. So how did it all get started for you with, with top down? So basically, like I said before, I, you know, I'd known Jay Fresh for a little while, even before he started his Twitter account and everything. We were in a Discord server together. We had chat on HF boards before. And I, I saw what he did, right? I saw his rise to prominence. And I was definitely, in some ways, a little maybe envious or jealous. Obviously happy to see my friend succeed, right? But a little envious and jealous. And also just felt like, hey, you know, I, I can try to do this too. What, what do I have to lose? Right. Like I should try to just do my own stuff. Right. I had been following hockey analytics for a while. I knew what was going on. I knew what the models meant. I had my own, you know, criticisms, ideas on how things should be done differently. And then questions in my head, like if things were done differently, you know, how would they actually look? How would things actually change? A ton of curiosity. And I just decided to dive into it. It was maybe sort of a bit of an identity crisis, I would say. Just, you know, I had just graduated school. I didn't have a job, right? I was just kind of playing video games at home and I just I just had to do something, right? I, I felt like I had to wait until I got some kind of 
formal coding experience or like a master's degree or whatever. I had that idea in my mind that I had to wait. And then kind of just one day, about five months ago, I just decided, no, I'm just going to figure this out. Like, I'm just going to do my best. Right. So uh, I would say it, it definitely was like a little bit of envy and jealousy, but also, you know, motivation and happy to see my friends succeed. They kind of pushed me to want to do my own thing. That's awesome, Patrick. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Russ, you uh, got a question? Yeah, I wanted to throw, I threw this question out at, at Jay Fresh as well. Um, there's been some debate over uh, the kind of best metric to use as far as determining the best chance of a goal scoring. I know Corsi was kind of the, the main figure everyone was going off of for a while, but now we have expected goals for. Do you think there's still some debate there, or do you think the expected goals for is kind of the main way to figure out high percentage of play? Well, so, so you talk about just a goal scoring, right? In that case, obviously expected goals is better, right? Corsi treats every shot as like uh, being five or 6%, right? So, uh, but I think more what you're asking is like to evaluate players or teams. Is that? Yeah. Is that so like what you the mean? pace yeah. of play or the determining of a win factor, right? I guess. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. I mean, when the Kings were winning Stanley Cups, I don't know, you don't want to talk about that, but they were one of the best like Corsi teams, like almost of all time at that time. So yeah. Well, um, the Sharks were too. Yeah. That, that's what made it frustrating. We had to play in the first round every year, 2014 mm-hmm. and 2016. Both of those teams were off the charts in the expected goals and the Corsi, and they both yeah. made it out the West. Yeah, it's it's definitely so. I don't. I think the Corsi for sure still has value. And when I've done some of the real kind of deep dives on like how valuable is this regularized adjusted plus minus, right? The regression that I touched on earlier, I found that stuff that uses Corsi or Fenwick is more repeatable. And also is is more accurate as a descriptive measure. The error bars are smaller, if that makes sense. So I think Corsi definitely still has value. Also, when you're looking at like a 10 or a 20 game sample, I've found that Corsi can beat expected goals in terms of predicting future goals percentage. When you get to up to 40 games, expected goals is a little bit better. At least my model, I've found that it does at 5.15. But I think there's definitely still some value in Corsi. Expected goals is just a little more intuitive. I think once it doesn't necessarily make more sense to begin with, but once you get an idea of what's going on there, I think that it it just it feels better. It makes it just makes more sense, right? Like you're not going to end up overrating forwards who just throw a bunch of low percentage shots at the net, right? So I, I'd say Corsi, Fenwick, they both still have their value for sure. Uh, it's it's just really hard to say better without like a clear goal of what what you know you're looking for, and that's not to criticize you for not necessarily putting one up. That's just that like these things are close, and some are better at different things. That's just the truth. But yeah, I tend to I tend to like expected goals a little more. They're just kind of cooler. And uh, for if you want a wins above replacement thing, right? If you want to analyze goalies, if you want to analyze shooting talent then yeah, you absolutely want to work with expected goals. But if you've got like 10, 20 games of on-ice metrics, guys played 300 minutes, and you want to figure out how well he's pushing play, you probably want to use Corsi or Fenwick. Well, that's a that's a that's just an amazing overall stat. And, you know, you got, you're right. I mean, that had to be so, so <laughs> frustrating for you as a Sharks fan. But that <laughs> during those, those great runs, really, for both yeah. teams, because both teams were absolutely mm-hmm. outstanding in that time period. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, they were great. I mean, I look at some of the underlying metrics, like the Sharks, they were up there as a legit cup contender type of team, right? They mm-hmm. they really were. And just sometimes, you know, the uh, doesn't bounce for you that way, right? 
And I know Vlasic got injured in 2013, 2014, game five. I still wonder how that would have went if he didn't get injured. You guys deserve the win. You deserve the cup. But I, I would have liked to see how that played out. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely frustrating seeing some of the older Sharks teams that are, you know, our expected goals, which is crazy, and we just bombed out for whatever reason. Patrick, how do you feel that the method will the NHL five years from now? So it's interesting for for the NHL, I guess, are you asking maybe about teams or the league itself as a whole or league itself? Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting, right? A lot of people who get into analytics, they kind of look at this as like, it's just this good thing or it's this great thing. And I've, I've kind of looked at it, right? I don't think that it's, it doesn't really add it can add value to team. I think it can add a lot of value to teams, right? It can add, it's, it's more of a fun thing to look at as a fan, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really, I don't think matter too much to the league or to fans, what the analytics say, right? It matters if your team wins. I don't think it, it, it matters if the analytics say that Drew Doughty or Brent Burns are good. Like, I don't care. First, I'm still rooting to see Brent Burns win every game and score. You know, I still love him, right? I'm sure you guys feel the same way about Dowdy. Yeah, you guys might feel frustrated when he does a bad play. You might, like, see the criticism uh, and not love it. Or you might say, okay, it's mostly accurate. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like, even if if you guys are totally wrong and you guys think Dowdy right now is, like, the best player in the league – who fucking cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? It really. So, I I think that a lot of analytics people maybe uh, act like it it means more than it does. At the end of the day, we're just fans figuring out a different way to talk about the game. And so, from from this perspective, from what I'm doing, the public analytics thing, it's a fun thing. It's a fun way to talk about the game. I think that it will help certain players get more recognition as time goes on, right? Which is probably a good thing. Yeah. And I think that. You know, I think if if agents start using analytics more and, and players start getting compensated more in line with what they deserve and the value they actually bring, it's a good thing. But generally, I don't think we really do all that much for the league. Uh, I don't think it really adds all that much. It's, it's just a fun way of, of fans to look at the game. That's my honest opinion. And then for teams, right, and, and for the league itself, if they want to try to use analytics maybe to improve the game, you know, maybe they look at some of these like penalty regressions and they see – game management is is super present and dominates the the penalties then maybe they they want to do something about that but they probably already know about this stuff so i i think right. it's more of just a fun thing for fans i don't think it actually does too much for the league personally okay yeah i was gonna ask you do you think uh agents are gonna start using some of these models in terms of trying to get their players the higher contracts so I, I think they definitely already have to some degree. I know that back in like 2013, 2015-ish maybe, I vividly remember reading that's about Justin Williams' agent saying that he was using Corsi to negotiate a better contract. Oh, wow. Uh, and Justin Williams, if you look at some of those old regularized district plus minus charts, he was a Corsi god. He was like the best Corsi player in the league mm-hmm. back then, right? And he didn't really get the recognition he deserved until at Con Smythe. But like he was a hell of a player. And I don't know what what teams honestly can use in negotiations. That's something I probably should be aware of. Like, I don't know if a team even or an agent even can pull up. Can he go to hockeyviz.com and pull up a heat map? Can he go to JFresh player cards and pull up a card? I have no idea. I, I honestly don't know. 
I would assume they are using some kind of models, definitely, right? Agents, they work hard and they try to get their player every penny. I would think they use some kind of models, but it's, I honestly, I don't know. But I, I actually, I know Micah McCurdy mentioned on Twitter that he's worked with agents before, he's worked for them. So I'm thinking they use some kind of models, but it's hard. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if I were an NHL GM, some guy brought a regular just a plus minus chart up to me. I just laugh in their face. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Right? So, I mean, this is how I'd feel like, or a J fresh player card with top down hockey data. Right. Like get that out of my face. You know, the guy has 20 points. I'm paying him a million dollars a year, or you can try to get an offer sheet. Yeah. Imagine right? going up to Lou Lamarino, Lamarello and showing him that. He'd probably slap it at you. Right. Oh yeah. I'm Casey. This is Zika's agent. Uh, he's got a bunch of blue on the chart. Give him 10 million. <laughs> yeah, no. Exactly. I don't Except know. Matt yeah. Martin even more. Don't you think that would actually depend on the team, though? Because take a team like Toronto, whose who's GM is Kyle Dubas. He is big time into analytics, right? So I, that might, almost might depend per team, really. Yeah, it's just it's tough, it's tough to say how, how they want to negotiate, right? There's, there's a certain balance between negotiating in good faith and negotiating in bad faith. You never want to be too friendly to the players. Sure. Right. And so I think that you don't necessarily want to come in and say, oh, yeah, this all this stuff that pumps the tires of your guy is valid. Even if you think it, you might not want to say it. Right. And so I, I just I honestly don't know how agents use analytics, but I would imagine that it's it's pretty hard to I, like I I would think that Dubas himself might use analytics and he might be inclined to overpay a player. Like I would say he probably did overpay Austin Matthews pretty badly based on the market, but the market plays players who have never scored 70 points. And, and the analytics obviously showed much kinder on Matthews than the point totals did. But I, I'm, I'm sure that his agent used some kind of analytics and, and he probably was more open to buy into it than a Lamorello type would have been. But I think they all use analytics at this point. I mean, you know, it's like that the, the Winnipeg Jets stuff I talked about, right? People don't think of the Jets as an analytics team. They're like below 45% expected goals. They have full to five full-time analytics employees. They're they're all in on it, right? So I I think that the agents will use it. I think teams will use it probably even more so on their end. But when it comes to the negotiation table, I think it's really hard because at what point, like what, what if Micah McCurdy had an error in his code and and you pay a player a million extra dollars because of that? really kind of hard to or, or I did or, or Jay Fresh did or whomever right really hard to to pay players based on what somebody else's model says I think there's a reason that you find that the the payment that players get correlates much closer with points and time on ice than it does with anything anybody's model says but hey man if they want to overpay by a million dollars bank error in your favor right <laughs> yeah so, yeah uh, if you're one overpay yeah, right. So, uh, so listen, we got a listener question here for you. Uh, this comes from Richard Sarabia, one of our uh, one of our uh, loyal listeners here. He goes by the name Dirty Harry on Twitter. It's awesome. I love it. Awesome. Right. So he wants <laughs> he wants to know is Monday night's game an example that analytics are not one hundred percent? The Kings dominate in puck possession, shots, and attempts, and still lose the game. So, what do you think about that? It's so the Kings did dominate in terms of expected goals, right? I looked it up just before this. The Sharks were at about 37% expected goals. Kings had, I think, around two and a half. Sharks had around one and a half. And so that doesn't mean they're going to win 100% of the time, right? If the if the Kings had, z- had two expected goals and the Sharks had zero, that would certainly mean analytics were not 100%, right? If you won without any. But 
I think that it, it should be known that you're not going to win every game that you dominate. You're not going to win every game where you have higher expected goals. Generally, it's it's just hard to beat a team full of NHL players, even if you've got a better team full of NHL players, right? And so if if you generate as much offense as the Kings did on Monday, right? They had about two and a half expected goals-ish, whatever. Um you're most of the time you're going to score a lot more than one goal on Martin Jones. Not every time. Right. And that's what would needs to be known. Right. Not every time, right. but most of the time you generate that kind of offense. You get those kind of looks on the power play. The Kings did. They got good looks, right. They were, they were in tight from the net. They were creating quick passing plays. Generally you score more than one goal on Martin Jones, right. He usually scored three <laughs> when he's, when you get that many shots, right. That does kind of chance. He usually scored three at least on him, right. He's not very good. And even against a good goal, you probably score at least two. So analytics are not 100%. You do not win 100% of the games that you dominate or outshoot the opponent. And I don't think the Kings necessarily dominated the whole game. The Sharks had their pressure too, right? But they sure got outplayed. And I think you just need to be cautious, right, of of what the analytics say. I mean, if you said analytics mean that the team with more expected goals wins every time, then, yeah, that's not 100%. But if, you know, you look at the numbers and say they win about uh, whatever percent of the time, then this would just be one of the percent they don't. And that makes sense because sometimes that happens. So I, I mean, yeah, Monday's game is an example that you can, you can dominate the game, you can control the flow of play and you can still lose. And, yeah, and there's, I don't nothing, think there's that, nothing yeah. 100% in sports ever. No. I mean, the only, the only no. thing that's 100% in hockey is they're going to play the game on ice. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, Ryan, you got a follow up? Yeah, so Patrick, just sticking with the theme from uh, Monday's game, did your heart stop when Jeff Carter was wide open in front of the net and passed to Kopitar with about 30 seconds left? <laughs> yeah, that whole that whole six on five, it just had the vibe like there was going to be a goal. It just felt like there was going to be a goal. And definitely a scary moment. Uh, I mean, there were, there were plans. I'm, I'm thinking when you said Jeff Carter, I was thinking of that, that play, I think, where he got where he was just streaking down the wing. That was a little bit earlier in the third, though. Yeah. He had a few. They, they, had, they had quite a few chances, and sometimes they just don't go in. But honestly, at this point in the season, after the, the last loss to the Blues, my emotion has just been taken out a little bit. Like, the heart's not stopping anymore. It, it might beat a step faster. But if they win, if they lose, I I'm not expecting the playoffs. It's it's a pipe dream at this point. So I I just uh, it's it's not really hitting me emotionally the same way it would. Even if he had scored, it would just not quite hit me the same way. To be honest. Yeah, that's uh, and you know that's always tough when you 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 think ah geez it'd really be nice to be in the playoffs, but you know you, you just you kind of start thinking it, it's not. Well, yes, we we live that pain. We know. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone yeah. on that one. <laughs> Right. So listen, I uh, got another listener question here from you. It's uh, we got this on Twitter. It's from a gentleman goes by the name of Siggy Parlays. Uh, anyways, he wants to know the, the NHL schedule this year has an unprecedented number of back-to-back series with only minor lineup changes, which is mostly goalies. Uh, has this made it easier to isolate the impact of goaltending changes or any other interesting findings that would be more difficult to pin down in a normal season? So for goaltending changes, I'm thinking not at all. For those, I'm really just looking at how well they do on the shots they face. And we know even with the same lineups, you can have goalies face a totally different number of shots and your team can score a totally different number of goals. 
I, I think that it's just it, it's never going to be something I'm comfortable with looking at like how many games a goalie wins compared to the the backup or whatever. And like we could have a Sharks Kings game tonight where the Sharks dominate play and they have Devin Dubnik in and they win, but Dubnik played poorly, right? And like and you could say, oh well, they're the same team, but they they didn't play the same, right? And that's happens in plenty of back-to-backs, right? Like the Kings are probably not going to be at 63% expected goals tonight at all situations. Uh, and so I, I think it's a little dicey to try to look at goalies just based on team wins, team losses. I try to stay away from that at all costs because the team just plays differently in different games. With regards to other stuff, findings from the back-to-back, I know that scoring has been down a little bit which surprised me. I expected it to just kind of keep going up, but it's been down a little bit. I know that Greg Wyshynski from ESPN touched on that a bit. Uh, So I've had to kind of adjust the game simulation model a little bit to reflect that, but haven't noticed anything too crazy from the back-to-backs, to to be honest with you. Haven't looked too much into it. In prior seasons, they were were pretty mild as far as how they work on like impacting how well teams play. They have an impact, but not a huge one. And I don't think it'd be too different here. Sure, sure. And he's um he's got a follow-up question here too. It says, uh, also really interested in any predictions about how the uneven rest situation that's shaping up for April May has uh NHL teams forced to miss time due to COVID to make up games might affect game outcomes. Um so basically it's is this good the time miss for COVID, is this gonna really affect overall the product on ice? I think is what he's asking. because uh, it says overall scoring in games with tired teams or anything else. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. If you look at how this season has played out so far, it's been more predictable than even prior seasons, right? If you look at the teams at the top of the standings, bottom of the standings, it's pretty much exactly how it was drawn up. I think you've got the Blackhawks surprising in the Central, and you've got the Kings trying to surprise in the West. If the Kings could potentially be the biggest surprise this season, knocking out St. Louis, that would be pretty much the only surprise of that caliber if that happens, and that's looking probably like a lower than 50% chance, although possible. And so that kind of leads me to feel like, despite the crazy COVID stuff, despite everything that could change, we're just going to end up getting more of the same. And that's not necessarily the most robust thought process there, right? But that's just kind of my my vibe from the season so far, and from the bubble as well, is that we're probably not going to see anything too different than what we're already seeing. So I would imagine those games get played out. Teams will be a little tired. Maybe they score fewer goals. Um Maybe, you know, the goalies are a little worse, but I I think they pretty much just, I think they'll end up playing 56 games. Every team will. And I think it'll be pretty normal. I'm, I'm sure it'll get pushed back like a, a couple extra weeks the season further from right. where they want it to be. But I think it'll just end up playing out normally. Yeah, they're going to have to they get Dallas to make up all their games. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Oh, and we just got one last one here from uh, Joel Rasanen. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, he wants to know if Drew Doughty is going to make the Canadian Olympic team. <laughs> I say yes. I think he makes it. He's he's getting Norris hype this season. I, I was looking at the points. He's like leading the league in power play points or close. I think he makes it. They love him. I think he's going to make it. Yeah, I, I hope so uh, for his sake. Um, and actually, like I was telling the guys the other day, I hope they wait till the last possible second to tell him because he's really <laughs> using it for motivation. So it'd be a wonderful thing. Right. <laughs> and I, I love all the people online who are going to take it so serious and be so angry about it. I, I, I know, that's right? what I'm living for. So I'll take it. I'd rather be Burns. I think he's just, yeah, right. just deserving. Um, yeah, right? 
but uh, I'll take both. <laughs> They'll win anyways with those forwards. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. I see Dowdy making it, and I yeah, maybe he gets an A as well. It wouldn't surprise me. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. So uh, we got a big game coming up here in just a little bit. Um, anything you're seeing that maybe a little bit different goal tonight, or what do you think? I mean, it's hockey. It could go anyway, right? I think the Sharks. I think the Sharks have been a little bit better at driving play at five on five this season than the Kings, and they actually were a bit ahead in five on five last game by my model. It was a power play where the Kings really generated all those chances, and we kind of know penalties kind of random tend to even out. So I, I'd say the Sharks probably drive play better this game. I'd say the Sharks also probably get a lot worse goaltending because I don't know. I I don't know if they've announced who's starting. I haven't checked yeah, that, but either Mar- way, Martin Jones, Patrick. Martin Jones. Yeah. He does play well against the Kings, but it's still, it's Martin Jones. He doesn't usually play as well as he did on Monday. So I'd say the Sharks probably get better play driving, probably worse goaltending. Uh, we probably get a few more goals, 2-1, pretty low amount. But it's it's hockey. Anything could happen. I think the teams are, are fairly closely matched at this point. Uh, maybe Cal Peterson is probably better than the Sharks goalies. It's probably the biggest difference between them. I think it's going to be an evenly matched game. It's my guess. He keeps breaking your model. He does. <laughs> yeah, he's he's doing well this season. I think he's. Yeah. I think he should be in the Calder chat. I think he should, his name should be brought up there. All right, he's actually not eligible. But yeah, not eligible for it. Yeah. Um, hmm. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask you one quick question about Curtis Gabriel. Do you think him being fined will have any impact on his level of intensity tonight? I I think that he understands the fine is uh, something that happened in between the whistles or I, I guess everything is technically in between a whistle. Something that happened outside the flow of play, right. Was what he was fine for. I think that he can keep his intensity up during the flow of play. I think he'll be just fine there to be honest. Uh, I think, but yeah, the cross checking guys and the warmups, he'll, he'll probably stay away from that, but I think he'll still be just as physical when the puck drops. I think that and fine then, was a little weak. I mean, yeah, McDermott was kind of just messing around. He skates a little over the red line. Curtis, Curtis Gabriel gives him a little <laughs> crash check and whatever. Do you think, yeah. do you think, do you think maybe it's uh, kind of a buildup of what he's done this season? You know, he got into kind of a shoving match with Kyle Clifford. He's had run-ins with a couple of other players uh, this season. Yeah, he's clearly he's clearly trying to make a name for himself. I mean, the guy had nine points in 50-something AHL games last year. It's obviously not in the NHL. For, he's a forward, right? He's obviously not in the NHL for his skill. It's honestly been a little bit better than I expected, but so clearly when the puck gets near his stick, you can kind of tell that that's not an NHL player with the puck on his stick. I think he's trying to make a name for himself. I think he's trying to make an impression, and he's doing what he can. He's definitely towing the line, right? He's trying to, um, you know, just show what he – that he's trying to bring intensity, right? So he, he's definitely towing the line, you know, going after guys in warm-ups and whatnot. It's his identity. He's trying to make it clear that it's what he brings. He knows if he's not dropping the gloves frequently, he's not in the lineup. So it's it's just kind of what he has to do. And I, I think it's I think it's kind of dumb that the team brings him in despite it, but whatever. Sounds a lot like um, Curtis McDermott. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's probably more of an NHLer though, isn't he? I haven't looked at his numbers uh, at all. But his expect- I looked it up this morning. His expected goal percentage <laughs> is like thirty nine percent. 30 he's in oh, the 30s yeah oh goodness yeah it might be worse than Gabriel. I that out this morning and you know him uh him on the bench the kings are like 47 
So they're obviously nice. better off with him on the bench. Yeah. But hey, I wanted to transition to the trade deadline, which comes up here on April 12th. Um, you know, obviously the Kings and the Sharks are just separated by four points going into tonight's game. So really anything could happen um, over the next coming weeks. But I guess for you, what are you expecting the Sharks to do at the trade deadline? It's really hard to say. Uh, I'm expecting Marcus Sorensen to be traded. Expecting Patrick Marlowe, Devin Dubnik to be traded. Um, the way they've they've talked about all, all three of those guys, their names have come up, right? And it's it's pretty clear they should be getting assets for them. I I don't know what the Kings are going to do. I think Rob Blake is smart enough to kind of just stay the course and understand he's he's got a rebuilding team, regardless of whether or not the percentages have worked out for them yet. At the end of the day, the Kings have a legit chance to make the playoffs. They don't have a real chance to make a run, in my view, and I think Rob Blake probably knows that as well. So I don't think the Kings are going to buy. I don't know the contract status of their players. If, if Athens CU has one year left, I think the Kings like him. So I think they'll want to keep him, but that's like a guy that, you know, could potentially be traded at the deadline. He, I mean, he got two second round picks last year, right? If I'm, if I'm Blake and I can get that, I do it again. But from the Sharks perspective, it's just hard to see them trading any of their big contracts, even if they clearly should, even if it's become more obvious than ever, the time for a rebuild is now, it's just really hard to trade Evander Kane, seven million, or obviously you're not trading Eric Carlson, eleven and a half million, right? But like Tomas Hurdle, five point six million, to, uh, another year after this. That's a hard contract to move in the middle of pandemic. Teams would want him, but that's hard. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think they're just going to trade Sorensen, Dubnik, and Marlowe, and they're going to get some probably like maybe a third at the highest for one of those guys that a team likes. Probably more like fourth round picks for each of them, and I think they'll just work with that. Um, pretty disappointing. Doug Wilson hasn't really done anything in the past two years, which is just, uh, I think, an indictment of of his own performance because you don't get to just steer the course when your team is playing like this. But I, I don't really see them doing anything. They've they've backed themselves into such a position where they don't really have great options. You so know, I want to ask you – oh, I'm sorry, Ryan, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so obviously the, the sellers at the deadline, I mean, uh, I you know better than I do, but I'm not sure of their salary cap situation entering this offseason, but – I guess, what are your expectations um, in terms of what the offseason off brings and next year holds for the for the Sharks? There's, there's a part of me that thinks Doug Wilson gets fired. This is the second year in a row he, he came into the offseason and said he was going to make the playoffs. Right? He called this a playoff team at the start of the year. He said last year was an anomaly. It's a playoff team this year. It's not a playoff team. And so I think that when you you're wrong twice about something, Generally in business, just kind of in the world, fool me one time, shame on you, fool me twice, you're fired, right? So I could see him being fired and I could see a new GM trying to start a real rebuild. If he stays, he might try to just kind of retool again and just try to push the team further into playoff contention. But it's it's going to be hard, even if he decides to rebuild or even if a new GM comes in and is full on rebuild, these contracts are going to be hard to move. They've all got uh, modified NTCs. I think that Tomas Hurdle really should be traded. I love him. He's my favorite player. But you can get a big haul for him. He's, I think, 26 right now, going on 27. Contract and His new contract will start when he's like 28, 29. He's not going to be in his prime when the Sharks are ready to win again. He should really be traded. I think they'll look into that. I've heard some rumblings on Meyer as well. I think Elliot Friedman mentioned Timo Meyer. I think they could they could try to look into to starting kind of a rebuild or retool. But at the end of the day... If Doug Wilson is still GM, I think it's going to be more of the same. Just stay in the course. He hasn't done anything for two years, and I don't, 
it's just hard for me to see him doing something now. But I, I, if I had to make a prediction, say he gets fired, a new GM comes in and makes some minor moves. Yeah, I wanted to ask you too, as a, as a Sharks fan, you had mentioned Eric Carlson, and he had a comment last week saying that he didn't sign with the Sharks to be a part of a rebuild. So how does that sit with you just as, as a fan, from a fan perspective? Because to me, that's kind of like him saying, well, this isn't what you told me I was going to get. What's going on here, right? So you can almost see like a little uh, like a crack in the armor kind of deal. Yeah, I think the comment was, was maybe taken a bit out of context. I didn't personally have a problem with it. I, you know, he was just saying, right, he's competitive. He's saying, I want to win. I don't want to rebuild. I don't want to lose, right, which is fine. I, I don't really care about the comment. Uh, I, I think it's kind of valid when the people say the Sharks sure as hell didn't sign him for this level of play, right? So he, he's got to own some of that himself, right? They might not be in – I mean, they'd probably be in a playoff position if he was playing like a Norris caliber defenseman because he's been one of the worst players in the league this year. So if you're adding a few diff- – you're adding like two, maybe three wins from him improving to like one of the best players in the league like he's paid to be, you're looking at a potential playoff team. Uh, yeah, the Sharks would be up there if they had four or six extra points, right? So Carlson does need to take some of that on himself because his terrible play is maybe the number one reason they are entering kind of a rebuild. But I don't have a problem with that comment in and of itself. I get it. Guys don't want to lose. I don't have a problem with it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, it just it kind of it, it just kind of struck me as funny. But I tell you, I don't think he's been the same since that Achilles injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, I could go on a, a whole deep dive on him. The, the the regularized adjusted plus minus, the expected goals numbers, even the basic numbers, even like just goals for percentage. Eric Carlson on the ice, Eric Carlson on the bench as an Ottawa Senator, those were not different, very different. They were like 49% with him and 48% without him. Like, he, he was great at, at some things, but his defensive woes were legitimate. His team was always giving up more goals always giving up these dangerous shots. Obviously, you watch him. He's a phenomenal talent. Even today, you see shades of it. Clearly, back then, he was just incredibly flashy. But in terms of driving results, I'm not convinced he was ever quite the player that people say he was. I admit, I didn't watch him closely enough back then to really say that. But his first year in San Jose, in the 53 games he played, by the analytics, just as good as anything he did in Ottawa. It hasn't been the same since the the groin injury with the Sharks. The one he had right. in like the middle of that 2018-19 season, uh, he's not been the same since then. In the playoffs, he was rough, still scoring points, but rough overall play. Last year was good, not great. This year he's been awful. The, the injuries are obviously piling up on him, but he was still great in his first year as a Shark. That's the only area that I'll kind of uh, push back on and that maybe he wasn't all that great as he was made out to be as a senator. But injuries obviously have, have taken their big toll on the poor guy, yeah. Well, sure they have. And, you know, as Kings fans, we can give you a little advice on that. Just tell him he's not going to make Team Sweden's Olympic team. It works. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's hope he gets some kind of fire under him. <laughs> yeah, goodness. Oh, man. Well, yeah, I still, I still remember uh, Jay Fresh's tweet about Drew Doughty back in July uh, after he made his comments. You know, Drew Doughty has been uh, subpar over the last two years, and it's all TSN's fault. <laughs> yeah he has definitely he I, I tell you drew dowdy you asked me if i'm the brains behind the operation but really i think drew dowdy is the the real reason that he blew up <laughs> <laughs> dowdy uh seth jones and then john shika without those three he would be nothing forget about the top down hockey guy without those three he'd be a nobody 
<laughs> but as long as you can criticize those three. No, no. And in total fairness, Dowdy can't uh, take TSN personally. Because I remember uh, the 2012 playoff uh, uh, preview. They were doing the fantasy, like literally, almost literally half the picks uh, were Vancouver Canucks. So, you know. And now they're going to make picks. Right? Yeah. yeah no, exactly. it's a total joke. Yeah. They, yeah. It's. You can't put any stock in those lists, right? I mean, you know, if you're a player using them for motivation, great, but they're they're not built. They're built to drive clicks, right? right. And you don't you don't drive clicks by saying everything that you believe is 100 percent true. You can get clicks that way, but it's not the most effective driver of clicks at all, right? You got to say some wacky stuff if you really want right. clicks. And they do, yeah, yeah. Well, was that Eric Bischoff used to say controversy creates cash? Yeah, I think that was uh, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, off, off the agenda a little bit, but um, what do you see kind of from the, the way that the divisions are set up now and how that sets up for the playoffs? I, I think the Canadian teams, they have just the easiest path they'll ever have. Seriously, I, I think the Oilers can put together a better team in Connor McDavid's prime. I don't think they'll ever have this kind of like road to the playoffs. Right? They've got... I, that division has one great team in the Maple Leafs and then a bunch of yeah. mediocrity. And that's an easy one. It feels like every division I look at, I feel like this is a weak division, which doesn't make sense, obviously, because some have to yeah. be relatively strong. But I, I, there's there's injuries, right? It seems like every team is is kind of beat down, right? Tampa's missing Nikita Kucherov. Uh, a lot of teams are struggling. It, it feels like, for whatever reason, the way these divisions have worked out, it's going to be easier than ever to make the playoffs this year. That's the vibe I get. And it's it's going to be easier than ever to make the third round, especially if you're in the Canadian division. But I, it'll just give us some interesting playoff matchups. I, I don't know exactly what to read into it. Just my, my weird feeling that doesn't make sense is that all the divisions are weak. But beyond that, I I like the Canadian division. It's a lot of fun. It's It's a ton of fun. But that's like a time for back to the eighties. Yeah. 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 All the boring and- <laughs> yeah. The terrible defense. Yeah. yeah. And Patrick, just one last question for me and um, regarding the Maple Leafs and well, let me uh, preface this. I need to not offend the Maple Leafs fans. Reminds me, remind me to make my Twitter account private here in the next 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, do you think they're slightly overrated playing in that division? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I think that, it's interesting. You, you never, I never really have a great handle on, on what people think that team is. They might've even got a little underrated at the end of last season after their collapse. I think they were always overrated up until that collapse last year and against the blue jackets. And then they probably became underrated just because of that was a really unfortunate event for them, right. To lose that series right now. They're definitely, I don't even know how much it's the division and how much it's just they were kind of riding the percentages. They're getting just insane backup goaltending from Jack Campbell, which is just a, a pretty random thing in hockey to get great goaltending from your backup. Had a They had a pretty high PDO last time I checked. I think right now, I don't remember how many points they're on pace for. I think it's around 105-ish. And I'd say that's that's pretty close to their real level in a in a real division, right? Maybe closer to 100-ish. Yeah, Definitely yeah. a little overrated, right? They're just, they're clearly the best team in that division. They wouldn't be the best team in any other division, I don't think. Not clearly, anyways. No, they're not better than Boston, not better than yeah. Vegas, not better than Colorado. 
and not better than Tampa Bay. So they, they're the best team in that division comfortably. So I think that just kind of leads them to be overrated. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick, not hugely. Yeah. Uh, real quick, Patrick, as someone who lives in Toronto, uh, uh, no, no, uh, no, I, I'll be very careful to call them overrated here. <laughs> <laughs> and please don't get me started. We don't have time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I think out of that Canadian division, I think Winnipeg's going to be the team to watch come playoff time. I think so, too. I, you know what? They just seem to be a team that's built for the playoffs. I, I just – something something is just saying to me. I don't know, but who knows? Um, but anyways, I, I think – if Edmonton, right. I was going to say if Edmonton can find consistent defense and some goaltending, you know, they have the offensive firepower. But that's been the story of, like, the last five years for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, Winnipeg, look, you got Hollabuck and goal. You know, and that that team just when they're on, I'm telling you, they're just they're a team that's built to win in the playoffs. But yeah, now I say that they'll get wiped out in the first round, of course. <laughs> so don't nobody bet on my words, okay? Please. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, if Ken, Coll- if Ken Holland gives up a second round pick for Devin Dubnik, I think they'll they'll do great. Hey, there you go. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> even a first round pick if he wants to be generous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scott, you were too late. I just texted Vegas. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, my lose is on you. Well, yeah. I mean, Pat- Patrick, I will be curious to see if Toronto ends up making the Stanley Cup playoffs, how they would fare against um, Colorado or Vegas. You know, just point. two high powered teams. You know, Colorado is really on fire right now. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. They took it, uh, they, they did a good job against Boston. All things considered, the the two times they play, they met against Washington, right? They took they took those teams pretty hard, but it would be interesting to see. I, my personal vibe is just that statistically, they're they're likely to not make it out the Canadian division, just because that's just kind of how numbers work out, right? You got to win two series against teams that aren't that much worse. But <laughs> it, it will be interesting if they do make it out. How do they play against a real contender? Right. We saw that in the past of Boston, but they're kind of a different team now. How would that work out? I'd be curious to see. Definitely. Well, all right. Well, hey, listen, I think we got a, a big game coming up to watch here pretty quick. Yeah. So um, I think we're going to wrap this up. But Patrick, thank you so much for coming on. This this was a lot of fun. We really appreciate oh, it. Yeah. Yes. Totally agree. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick, for coming awesome. on. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, thank you guys for having me on. Great question. It's definitely uh, cool stuff. I'd like to wish you luck tonight, but I just can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no injuries. No serious injuries. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some bruises exactly. and bumps. No serious injuries. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, All hey, right. like I said, thanks so much for coming out. We really appreciate totally. it. And, uh, you're pleasure. welcome back anytime, my friend. Appreciate it. Take All care, right. guys. Take care. Have a good night. That that was Patrick Bacon, everybody, and uh, what a show! That was that was a lot of fun, and it's always it's always fun to have a a, a, a rival team come on and, uh, and talk hockey with us. So absolutely, so, you know. So that's about it, uh, Kings fans. We're going to be back this Saturday with another pod. Uh, Ryan, you can pronounce his name better than I can. So his name is yeah, he's a, a Swedish. He's an SHL scout. Excuse me. His name is Sixton Funquist. So we're going to be scouting uh, Helge uh, Granz, uh, touching on a little bit of Leah Sanderson, Tobias Bjornfoot, um, some Swedish players to target in the draft, and my favorite, Swedish death metal. So All right. I love it. <laughs> I can't wait. Good. 
All right. So that's it for us, folks. We're going to sign off. So for Ryan Sykes, for Ryan Colley, I'm Scott Kinville. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you Saturday. Go Kings Go. Thanks, guys.